How we doing, church? So good to be connecting with you right now. Thank you so much for taking time to join us online. I want to say good morning to everybody in Creston. It's great to be with you guys today, and I want to say hello to everybody who's watching at St. Greg's. Um, if you have a Bible, grab it, open it, um, turn it on, follow along on screen or on your outline if you have one. Um, Genesis chapter 34, not, not typically a place um, that, that you would hear somebody say that's where we're starting, but Genesis chapter 34, uh, that's where we're going today. We're in week number six of our series called House Party. Um, this series is going to go for at least two more weeks, uh, maybe three, um, and then we're going to roll into something else. Um, but in this series, we've been really discussing, looking at, talking about the why of Central Church. And while we've been doing that, um, we've been celebrating the goodness, the greatness, the provision, and the protection of God in his house. And today we're going to continue in on that. And let me set today up like this. I've mentioned um, from time to time, uh, I'm sure I've talked about this probably too many times, uh, but when I'm going somewhere, like if I'm going from point A to, to point B, if I'm traveling somewhere, if I'm driving somewhere, um, I want to get there fast. Like that, that's my goal is just to get there fast as quick as possible. Anybody else like that? For me, I love to drive fast. Now, I've got an issue uh, that probably all men, maybe some women, um, maybe a lot of us, maybe a lot more than I think, will, will connect with. Um, I'm directionally challenged, and so I rely heavily on a GPS. And, and, and this is where we could probably connect, not on the directionally challenged part, but maybe on the GPS part. If my GPS says it's going to take two hours or three hours or four hours to get somewhere, then I've got to beat the two, the three, the four, the eight hours. I've got to beat, I, like, I'm in competition with the GPS. Anybody else like that? Anybody do that? And so, for me, I love driving super fast and just getting there. Like, that, that, that's just my goal, get there. I don't want to sightsee, I, don't do, I just want to get there. And so, with that, um, a few months ago, I was coming back um, from a, from a two-and-a-half-hour drive. I was coming back um, to Carroll, and I had about a two-and-a-half-hour drive ahead of me. And uh, I'm driving. Everything's going great. And um, I was really getting into this song, Rattle, by Elevation Worship. Now, now listen, I am not a big listen-to-worship-music-while-I-drive guy. Like, that's, that's just not me. I'm not, I'm not usually into the worship music thing. Um, and, and, but on this day... I had that song, and that song was just like, man, I, that song, I was just rocking out that song. It was on repeat, and I was just like, like literally just lost in worship in that song. I absolutely, absolutely love that song. And so it's playing, and I'm singing, and just kind of a side note there, um, isn't it awesome how like incredible you are? in the car, by yourself, singing, like, uh, isn't it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go on The Voice, like, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like, so, so that's me, I'm just like wearing this thing out, and, and I'm just like lost in this thing, I'm in an incredible worship mindset, I'm kicking the snot out of the GPS, everything is awesome, and then I came over a hill, and I saw the lights, now, they weren't blue lights, all right? Blue lights are, are blue lights. You, you know what blue lights are. Blue lights, you're, you're getting pulled over. Years ago, um, Kmart used to have blue light special, and everything was on sale. That ain't what happens when you see blue lights in your rearview mirror, right? Blue lights in your rearview mirror, you're getting pulled over. It wasn't blue lights. It was red lights. 
It was brake lights. It was traffic. And so I'm like, all right, this is not a big problem, not a big deal. You know, I spent years living in Indianapolis. Traffic's cool. It's all right. It was like somebody's windshield wiper probably fell off, and everybody had to stop and look at the windshield wiper on the side of the road because everybody has to look at an accident. Everybody has to see. So, so it's not a problem, right? This ain't no big deal until I found out <laughs> that we were waiting on a pilot car. And they were only allowing a few cars from each side at a time to go. And so 10 minutes passed. 20 minutes passed. 30 minutes passed. 45 minutes. Like, like the GPS is, your new time is, like, like, ah, we're not going anywhere. Now, I know you're not going to believe this about me, but I have never been known to be a patient man. I have some control issues. And so I started to get angry. And when that happened, the music selection changed, and it went from a place of praise and worship to, like, angry rap music. Like, like that's, that's where it went. And, and, and the thing was, like, like, I was thinking about this and thinking about this, and, 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 and the, the whole way and the whole lesson that I, that I learned from this and what I got out of this was when everything was going great, man, I, I had this this awesome sense of just praise and worship, and, and I was feeling awesome, and things were just absolutely incredible. But as soon as I got stuck in traffic, the music selection changed, and, and I've thought about that experience over and over and over and over again, and about how that's just, that's just my life in, in general. Like, don't you feel like that sometimes? Like, I think all of us can agree that when life is awesome, when things are going great, isn't it easy to be like thankful and praise God and celebrate the provision, the protection, and the goodness of God? Isn't it easy? Like, like I'll, I'll put it this way. I think I struggle with this, and, and I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to guess that maybe, mostly, probably all of you struggle with this as well. I call it the even if thing. So if I ask God for something and he says yes, I, I don't have a problem praising him. I don't have a problem celebrating him. I don't have a problem saying thank you. For, for example, how many of you have ever prayed for a parking place and you got one? Like, dear God, please let there be a parking place. And then, uh, oh my gosh, there is one. And you, you're praying for a parking place. And it happened to me the other day at lunchtime. I was trying to park downtown. I was going to eat at that place that you know so well. You're thinking it, or you said it. I didn't, I didn't say it, right? Somebody pulled out. I pulled right in. I was like, oh, Jesus loves me. Yes, he does. Like, I was so excited. I just pulled in. It was great. But when you don't get to parking place, you're kind of like, come on, God. Are you, are you kidding me? All right, here's the deal, God. I'm going to drive around the block. I'm going to give you another chance. Oh, God, there's still not a parking spot. I'm going to drive around. And one more time, God, if you do this for me, right, we, we, we kind of go there. Now, now that's maybe sort of kind of a goofy example because the idea of even if, like even if I don't get what I want gets a little bit more serious and a little bit harder when you put it into more difficult situations. Like God, I'll love you if I keep my job. But, but how hard is it to say, God, I will love you even if I lose my job. Hey God, I'll love you if I'm healthy. God, I'll love you because I'm healthy, but God, I'll also love you even if I deal with depression and anxiety. It gets a little bit harder, doesn't it? God, I, I, I love you if you heal my mom, but God, I'll love you even if, and I'll celebrate you 
even if you choose to take her home. See, we put that stuff into more, in, into more dire situations and circumstances. It gets a little bit harder. It gets a little bit more real. And, and this right here, this is my struggle because like, like it, it's easy. It's easy to love God when he does what I want. It's easy to celebrate the goodness, the greatness, the provision, the protection of God when he's doing what I want him to do. Where I struggle and where I think that all of us can say that we struggle is we struggle to love and celebrate God even if he doesn't do what we want him to do. But listen to me, and don't miss this because this is huge. It's during the even if moments of our life that our faith grows. It's during those even if moments of life that our faith grows because in those moments we get to see God more clearly than we've ever seen him before. Now, in order to set up where I'm going, I want to read you a story. And this is one of those I can't believe us in the Bible stories. Like, and, and, and chances are, if you're a Christian and you've been in church your whole life, you've probably never heard this talked about in church because it's weird. And it's uncomfortable. This is like girls gone wild and Jerry Springer met on the beach and had a baby. Like that's what this story is, all right? These are not t-shirt verses. These are not coffee mug verses. These are not bumper sticker verses. These are weird, jacked up verses. But I just want to read you a little bit of God's word and allow you to soak it in, all right? You ready? You ready? A little bit nervous? I am. You should be too. It's awesome. Genesis chapter 34, verse 1. One day Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the young men who lived in the area. But when the local prince Shechem, Shechem's a bad dude, all right? Shechem's not good. When the local prince Shechem, son of Hamar the Hivite, saw Dinah, he seized her and raped her. But then, look at this, but then he fell in love with her and he tried to win her affection with tender words. He said to his father, Hamor, get me this young girl. I want to marry her. Any, anybody want to admit that this is weird so far? Anybody want to say this is jacked up? Anybody like, this is, this, like, is this really in the Bible? Any, yeah. Like, and it hasn't even got it started yet. It gets, it gets even more crazy. Look at this. Soon, Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter, Dinah. But since his sons were out in the fields herding the livestock, he said nothing until they returned. Hamar, Shechem's father, came to discuss this matter with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field as soon as they heard what happened. They were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped, as they should have been. Shocked and furious that her sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, something that should have never been done. Verse 8. Hamar tried to speak with Jacob and his sons. My son Shechem is truly in love with your daughter, he said. Please let him marry her. There's not a dad that's watching right now or sitting in Crescent or sitting at St. Greg's that says, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. This is messed up. Like, this is, this is messed up. This is a super, super, super jacked up situation. But it gets even more crazy. Watch this. In fact, let's arrange other marriages too. You give us your daughters for our sons, and we will give you our daughters for your sons. And you may live among us. The land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us. And feel free to buy property in the area. Then Shechem himself spoke to Dinah's 
father and brothers. Please be kind to me. All right, dude, like you kind of mess that whole thing up by, by raping his daughter. and in the, in the, Like you, you don't mess that up, right? But, but that's it. this is the thing. Like I wasn't kind to her, but please be kind to me and let me marry her, he begged. I will give you whatever you ask. <laughs> Have you ever been that in love? Have you? Like guys are always like, oh, baby. Baby, I'll do anything for you. Any, any, I'll do anything for you. That's not true, by the way. Girls, that's not true. He won't do anything. I'm about to show you. Like, every guy has his limits. Every, every guy. We're about to see it. Like, I would have my limits in this story, but everyone has their limits. So look at this. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, because back then you had to pay for the bride. Back in this time period, <laughs> like, 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 if your daughter was pretty, like, she brought, like, a thousand camels. If she, like... I don't know, it wasn't easy to look at. She brought like 100 camels. I, I don't, like, that, that's just in the Bible. I'm just providing unfiltered commentary today. It's central, so that, that's us. All right. I will gladly pay it. Just give me the girl as my wife. But since Shechem had defiled their sister Dinah, Jacob's sons responded deceitfully to Shechem and his father. That's key. Deceitful. Responded deceitfully to Shechem and his father, Hamar. They said to them, we couldn't allow this, couldn't possibly allow this, because you're not circumcised. Like, talk about a breakup line right there. Like, that's crazy. But this is in the Bible, right? I'm just reading you the Bible. You're not circumcised. It would be a disgrace for our sister to marry a man like you. But here is the solution. If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters and we'll take your daughters for ourselves. We will live among you and become one people. But if you don't agree to be circumcised, we will take her and be on our way. Now, for me, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out. That's a deal breaker. It, it just is. Like, if I'm Shechem, I'm like, you want me to do what? What do you, you want me to do? What? Like, what is, I don't even know what that is. Tell me, tell me what that is. It, oh. No, 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 bro. She ain't that hot. Like, 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 there's not a woman on the planet that is that hot. Like, no guy is like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what? Like, let me just, let me, let me just go ahead and get cut. And, and matter of fact, all my friends, too. Hey, guys, come on over here. Hey, we're all going to get cut. We're all going to get circumcised because we're all going to get wise. It's going to be awesome. Like, nobody wants that. But, but watch this. This is crazy. Verse 18. Hamar and his son Shechem agreed to their proposal, which is proof that wine in the Bible is not grape juice, because you'd have to be hammered out your mind to agree to this. Anybody want to be friends with these guys? Anybody? Verse 19, Shechem wasted no time in acting on this request, for he wanted Jacob's daughter desperately. This, this is crazy. Desperately. Shechem was a highly respected member of his family, and he went to his father, Hamar, to present this proposal to the leaders at the town gate. So, so basically, at the next city council meeting, he gets to speak, and he says, hey, guys, hey, I got this great idea how we can get all this land and these women and everything. Like, listen to me. And, and look what he says. These men are our friends. Invite them down to live here among us and trade freely. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. We could take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. But they will consider staying here and becoming one people with us only if all of our men are circumcised just as they are. Now, 
I don't know if I got a no vote, but right here, like if they're throwing out like, hey, anybody got any nays? Like I'm throwing up both hands. Like, no, 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 no. But that's not what happens. Watch this. This is crazy. But if we do this, all their livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. Come, let's agree to their terms and let them settle here among us. Like, it ain't no big deal, guys. It's easy. Just simply getting cut. Not, not a big deal. Verse 24. So all the men in the town council agreed with Hamar and Shechem, and every male in the town was circumcised. Can we all agree, no matter where you're sitting, no matter where you're watching this, no matter where you're listening at, this is jacked up. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> What's wrong with Ryan today? He's normally not like this. I don't know where he's going with this. I'm going somewhere, I, I promise. You just got to give me a minute to get there, all right? Because watch this. Watch verse 25. Man, you think it just can't get any worse, and then it just does. So they all get circumcised, and look at this. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, <laughs> you don't say, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, how many? Two. How many? How many? That's super important. All right. There were only how many? Only how many? Two. Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, who were Dinah's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every male there, including Hamar and his son Shechem. They killed them with their swords. Then they took Dinah from Shechem's home and returned to their camp. Now, that's a, that's a pretty brutal story, yes or no? <laughs> yeah. But all I want to do here is point out that two men, how many? Two. Two men, after three days after every man in the village got circumcised. How many men? Two men. <laughs> Two men went in with swords, no opposition, killed everybody. So, so could we all agree that circumcision back in the Old Testament made a person very, very, very vulnerable? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. All right, so remember this, all right? So all of that, all of that was to get to where we really need to go right here, all right? So let's pretend you know this story, you understand this story, you hear this story. So let's pretend that... Um, Let's pretend this is the Jordan River, all right? Let's pretend this pulpit is Jordan River. We're on a tight budget, so just illustration, all right? This is the Jordan River. Now, the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for around 430-ish years. And after they got out of Egypt, they wandered the desert for 40 years. And they didn't have GPS, right? And that's why they wandered around for 40 years. They didn't have it. All of a sudden, after all those years, they finally come to the banks of the Jordan River. Now, on this side of the Jordan River, things were good. Because on this side of the Jordan River, all of their enemies had been defeated. They were safe on this side of the Jordan River. On this side of the Jordan River, there was like manna, like, like bread that fell from heaven. When, when you're getting bread falling from heaven, that's a good thing, yes or no? Y yeah. On this side of the Jordan River, there was like rocks. Um, that, that The water just came out of the rocks, and that's, that was their water surprise. Like every... Everything on this side of the Jordan River was good. On this side 
of the Jordan River, there were like seven nations that wanted to attack them and fight them. This, this was the side that they were supposed to get to. This is the, this is the promised land, right? You, you, you understand, you, you know the story that they wandered around because they were trying to get to the promised land. God spoke to Moses. Some of my people go, they go, and they're wandering in the desert trying to get to the promised land. This is it. Like you're standing over here where it's good, and they're looking over here at the promised land, the, the land with milk and honey and all that stuff. On, on this side, on this side, they were going to get no more manna from heaven because on this side, the land was going to provide their food. On, on, on this land, they didn't need water from rocks because there were lakes and rivers and there was all of that. And so on this side, things are really, really good. On this side of the Jordan River, it was easy to say, hey, God, I love you because you're providing bread from heaven and I don't have to fear my enemies and I'm safe and I'm comfortable. But on this side of the Jordan River, it's a little bit more difficult to love God because on this side, you're gonna have to fight. On this side, you're gonna have some difficult days. You're gonna go through some rough times. You're gonna have your faith tested. Now, getting from this side to this side was going to be a miracle in and of itself. And, and, and listen, let me say this about miracles because I don't wanna use the term miracle loosely around here. Everybody wants a miracle, but most of the time, we don't want to take our next step towards the miracle. Because like I told you last week, there's usually a mess before the miracle. And, and, and that happens here because the Israelites, they, they, they get here and, and then they cross the Jordan River. All right? But the way they crossed the Jordan River was Joshua, who was leading them at the time, took a play out of Moses' playbook. You, you know where Moses did the whole raise the stick and parted the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted? Well, Joshua did the same thing with the Jordan River. The Jordan River dried up and, and all the Israels came across. And that's where we're going to pick up this story. All right? Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And this, is, this parallels and or this goes exactly with what we just read in Genesis. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. And so the Israelites are on this side of the Jordan River now. And there are seven nations who want to attack them. But as soon as they crossed over, as soon as they got there, everything that they were concerned about over on this side, everything they were worried about was taken care of. Why? Because God has a way of going before us. And when we do what he tells us to do, he takes care of things. Listen to me. God will always take care of the things that we're unaware of. Always. And so they're probably worried over here. They're probably worried about stepping across the Jordan and having to fight immediately. But God took care of them. Now, real quick question. Did the Israelites know that God had done this? No. No, because they hadn't read Joshua 5.1. They, 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 they were on this side saying, you know what, um, right here, they, or they weren't on this side saying, you know what, right here in the book, it says when we get over there, our armies are all going to freak out, so let's go, Woohoo! and they stepped up. No, 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 no. They had no idea what God was up to. This is what they knew. God has brought us this far. He's been faithful. He's provided us with bread in the desert, water from rocks. God has taken care of every need that we have ever had. And so when we get on that side of the Jordan, listen, the God over there is the same God who is over here. And the same God who is over here is going to be the same God over there. So let's just follow him. 
and let's follow what he's saying, and let's trust him. And so they stepped over, and they're getting ready to fight. And when they're getting ready to fight, nobody came to fight them because God put fear in the hearts of their enemy. And and, and I read a commentary um, the the other day um, that some would argue that God even controls our enemies when we're following him. He's just so good. He's so good. He's so awesome. And then this happens. Some of you are like, oh, this is all great, all right? But I'm still like, what does this have to do with the whole circumcision thing? This has me a little freaked out. I don't know why you talked about it. What does it have to do with anything? I'm about to show you. Watch this, verse 2. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So if you think you've got a bad job, Joshua's job was awful because he couldn't delegate this, and he had to stand up and say, hey, this is what the Lord told me. Like, if I'm Joshua, I'm asking for confirmation. Like, God, I, I need some confirmation. Like, no, 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 God. Like, I, I need you to have this camel talk to me. I need to see a featherless bird. Like, I, I, I need you to show me something, God, like right now. But look at this. This is crazy. Verse 3. So Joshua made, so Joshua just did what God told him. That, that's huge. Another message for another time. Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gilbeth Harloth. Now, hold up, hold up, hold up. All of them knew the story from Genesis. All of them knew, like like the stories got passed down orally, even though they didn't have the book, they didn't have the Bible in front of them, like they all knew what happened. Wouldn't it make sense, uh, think about this and really think about this, wouldn't it have made sense if God wanted the Israelites to be circumcised that it would have happened on this side of the Jordan? Because on this side of the Jordan, there were no enemies. They were safe. They had manna. They were provided for. Everything was good. But once they got over here, there were seven nations that were going to come and attack them. Because think about this. Listen. If two men, remember the story? If two men put an entire village to death with two swords... What could seven nations have done to the entire nation of Israel? They would have obliterated them. They wouldn't be here today. Because remember, when two men went into the town, the men in the village couldn't fight. This was going to put them, the Israelites, in a position, after being circumcised, where they could not fight. They couldn't defend themselves. They were going to be vulnerable. The women were going to be vulnerable. The kids were going to be vulnerable. Everything that they had was about to go wrong and bad. But don't miss this. God had already moved. God had already moved, and God had already take care, taken care of all of the problems that they were concerned with in the first place. And so, what I get out of this story with what's going to move and what, what moves me and what I think would move us from this idea of, God, I love you if, to God, I love you even if, like, like how can we celebrate God in the even if? I, I think there are three things, three key words that, that stuck out to me um, in my study of these verses and in this story. And the first one is desperation. Des- I, I was thinking about this the other day. Y'all remember um, the Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons? Remember that? Always hated those because I always knew what was going to happen. Coyote is an idiot 
right? Like he couldn't catch Roadrunner, even though all he always tried, and he had like this endless supply of money or whatever, and he could buy all this Acme stuff. Like, like he, he just never could. And he always got hurt. In fact, Coyote would set a trap for Roadrunner, and then he would find, wind up falling into his own trap, right? E- every episode, every episode, there was a scene that looked something like this right here where the anvil is falling, and he's holding up a sign because he couldn't talk. He holds up a sign, something like, help. Like, like he knows that if something doesn't happen or someone doesn't intervene, he's going to get squashed. Um, I saw this picture on somebody's Facebook page the other day, and when I saw it, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's how I feel so often in my prayer life. God, help me, because it feels like my circumstances are falling down on me, and they're going to crush me. And I would probably bet that there are people watching right now, there are people sitting in Crescent, there are people at St. Greg's, that you feel the weight of the world is falling on you, and all you can do is hold up a sign asking God for help. Desperation. Desperation. Like you feel like there was a time in your life where things were good and things were safe, but now you're on this side of the Jordan River, and over here, anxiety is real. And over here, panic attacks are real. And over here, marriage problems are real. And over here, sick family members are real. And over here, the suffering is real. And we're desperate. But one of the things I've discovered is when I'm most desperate in my life, that's not an opportunity for me to keep my eyes down. It's an opportunity for me to put my eyes up. Because desperation, don't miss this, desperation if we'll lean into it, will lead us to desire God in ways we have never desired him before. Let me, let me say this right here. There are some phrases that drive me absolutely nuts. Like, there are some things, you've got them too, and we talk about them a lot around here. Um, but I heard somebody just recently say this, and it just got me, you know, it's like, it's kind of sent me off. And I'm not going to get on a soapbox right here, but it's just one of those things. And, and, and it's this, I'm a self-made man. Like, you ever heard anybody say that? I'm a self-made man. That drives me crazy. Because, number one, if you're a self-made man, if you're self-made, then you're probably not worth as much as you think you are. Seriously. Because none of us... None of us watching right now can get to a place where we, where we need to get in our lives without the help of God and with others. We've got to have the help of God, and we've got to have the help of others. And so desperation is a reminder that we can't do life alone. It's a reminder we can't walk through life alone. So if you're in a situation, this is what I need to say. If you're in a situation where you're desperate, maybe it's not God's punishment. Maybe it's God preparing you to step into a land that all your forefathers could do is dream about, desperation. The second word that came out to me in this text is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now, I know anytime anybody mentions sacrifice in church, everybody grabs their wallet like, oh, Lord, he's going to talk about money. I'm not talking about that. In, in this story, there was no money given here. It was skin, right? no No money. Um, but I was thinking about this, um, and I was reminded uh, of the fact uh, this the other day, all of us, every person watching right now enjoys comfort. I enjoy comfort as much as anybody. Um, if I asked you all, where's the most comfortable place in your life, what's, what makes you the most comfortable, you, you would all have an answer. For me, the most comfortable place for me is my bed. 
I love my bed. I love being in my room. I love it for it to be as cold as possible. I love to have the comforter all pulled up. I just, my bed for me, that's, my, that's it's comfortable. I just, I just absolutely love it. The other night, um, about 3 a.m., I woke up. I'm one of those people, probably because I'm getting to the age in life where this is just normal, um, but I got to wake up once or twice throughout the night. And listen, I'm comfortable, but I got to get up because I got to, yeah, you, you, you know what I got to do. So I woke up. I had to go. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Please, God. Please. Like I prayed for it, right? Like, like, like I'm going through this passage. And so I'm like, God, you dried up this, the Jordan River, and so you can dry up my bladder, please, in the name of Jesus. Right now, I rebuke the demon of pee. Like, I'm just kind of going through making up all this stuff. Like, I'm half asleep, and it won't go away. And everybody knows the struggle. And so, in order to get past the discomfort, I had to make this sacrifice of getting out of my nice, comfortable, awesome bed and go to the bathroom. It was a sacrifice. Now, all of us can agree. You don't even have to be a Bible person to agree. In this story, sacrifice was demanded. Men, would you say that this would have been a sacrifice, yes or no? Yes. This was a serious sacrifice. But don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Anytime God asks us to give something up, it's always because he wants us to make room for the immeasurably more that he wants to do in our lives. Don't miss that. Anytime God asks us to give something up, it's always because he wants us to make room for the immeasurably more that he wants to put back into our lives. Because don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. God asked the men for skin, and he gave them back a nation that's still on the map today. Those other nations, the other ones in the story, you can't find them. They don't exist. But the nation where the men and ultimately the women and the children were willing to sacrifice, they stepped into the promise that their forefathers could only dream about. And so with that in mind, I was working through this the other day, and I wrote down this question for me. This was a question for me. And when I wrote it down and I started working through it, God was like, no, 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 you need to share that with the church. And so the question out of this point of sacrifice for all of us is this. What is the new that God wants to do in you? What is it? What is the new thing? What is the, the next step that God wants to do in you? Like, 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 God, I love you if... I'm on this side of the Jordan. But I need to move to, God, I love you even if I'm over here and life's not easy. What is the new that God wants to do in you that requires sacrifice? What is it? What is the new that God wants to do in you that requires sacrifice? Which leads to the third thing, obedience. I remember my early years of Christianity um, I went to Baptist churches, and at the end, they always did altar call and invitation songs. We, we do similar type stuff here, but, but they sang just the same few songs over and over. There's just a few that, that cycle through. And one of the most popular songs um, to use as an invitation is the song, I Surrender All. You, you know that song? 
All to Jesus I surrender. Like, you know that song? If you don't, great, awesome, learn it. We should probably sing it sometime um, because it's really cool. But um, I would go to those churches, and we would be singing that song, and, and I would be watching people with their arms up, and they'd be crying, and they'd look broken. I soul to Jesus, I surrender. And I'd be like, no, you don't. No, you, come on, man. I know you. You don't, you, you don't surrender. You should be singing, I surrender some. Because isn't that, isn't that honestly how we all are sometimes? All right, God, you can have everything except this right here. Like, like, you could have all this, but you, but you can't have this corner over here. Like, like you, you, can't, you can't have this. I, I mean, I, I know that's what I would have to sing, that I surrender. So, like, God, I still, I, man, I, I want to say all. Oh, there's some things, man. And, and then we wonder, specifically me, I wonder why I miss out on the blessing. It's because often I'm not being obedient. Listen, God wants greater things for my life. God wants greater things for your life, for our lives than we actually want for ourselves. God's plans really are better than our plans. God's ways really are better than our ways. And we don't have to be fearful of a father that wants to do nothing but bless his children, even if it hurts, even if it doesn't make sense, even if we're confused, and even if we don't have the strength, and even if we don't understand, we can still trust him, and we can still celebrate him. Because watch this. This is Joshua chapter 5, verse 7. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. There are two words that jump out to me in this verse right here. Rested and healed. How many of you can be honest and say that spiritually you would love to feel rested and healed? It comes after we get to a place of desperation. God, I'm going to love you even if. God, I'll make the sacrifice. And God, I will obey you even if I don't understand. And even if I don't understand, God, not only will I not obey you, but I will celebrate you. I will praise you. And if I feel good, I'll praise you. And even if I don't feel good, I will still celebrate you if all hell is breaking loose. God, even if it hurts, I will celebrate you. And I know that there are some people watching that you know all about hurt. Like you could write a book on hurt. You, you could. You could describe hurt in ways that many of us have never experienced and most of us pray we never will experience. But when we get to that even if it hurts, I'll celebrate you place, that's when our faith grows and our view of God enlarges. God, even if I'm scared. Even if I'm terrified. I, I, I've heard people say, it's not difficult to follow God. He always, is. no, 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 no. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult to follow God. But God, even if I'm afraid, even if it's not easy, I will celebrate you. Even if I'm scared, I will praise you. God, even if this isn't what I wanted, God, this isn't what I wanted, but, but even though it's not what I asked for, I will celebrate you anyway. Even if God, even God, even if, even if my strength is gone, I will celebrate you. Have, have you ever, 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 ever felt like you just don't have the strength? You ever felt that? 
Because, man, I have. God, even if, even if, I don't have the, even if I don't have the strength, I will celebrate you. And here's why. I know that if I celebrate you, the enemy loses. He loses his influence in my life when I celebrate you. He loses ground in my life when I celebrate you. He loses dominion over my mind. He loses dominion over my thoughts when I celebrate you. So God, even if things are bad, I'm going to put my focus on you, and I'm going to celebrate your goodness, your greatness, your provision, and your protection in my life, even if. Let's pray.